hello. Hello. Who are you? Oh, I'm Rachel Stringer. I'm going to be your co-presenter. What happened? Uh, what happened to the other one? Um, I the thing is away this week. Couldn't right. make it. So, hello. Uh, all right. Well, um, have you done any sports stuff before? I've done quite a lot. I mean, I've covered the FA Cup final a couple of times, Women's FA Cup final, playoffs, Champions League final last year, Wimbledon five times. Um, I've done motorbike seasons, hockey. Do you want any more? Hmm. Well, I'm a Capricorn, so there. ESPN, Head in the Game. Hello, this is Head in the Game, your crash course to one of the week's major sporting events. Now, I'm Jamie Lang, and alongside me this week is broadcaster, journalist and Gemini, Rachel Stringer. Mm, Gemini, no, actually I'm a Pisces. My birthday's next week. Yes, you are a Pisces, but I was talking about your rising sign, which is on the left side of the sun, behind the moon, which you probably don't know about because you don't know astrology like I do. Firstly, it's a great name, um, Rachel Stringer. Is that your real name or is it your stage name? Well, it's my surname. I actually hate being called Stringer. You know when you're at school and everyone's like, Stringer, String Dog, absolutely hate it. It's Rachel or Rach, if you wouldn't mind, please. Okay, Stringer, what are we doing today? So today, I'm excited about this one, we get the lowdown on the NFL Combine. It's when hundreds of NFL draft hopefuls look to impress the pro teams with a series of workouts, psychological testing, medical examinations and interviews. We'll hear from a lot of guests and get up close and personal with one of the most important elements of the NFL season. It's a bit like the Krypton factor for like elite physical specimens with a random drug test. Right, we're going to speak to someone who knows a lot about the NFL Combine. It's Matt Sherry, editor of of Gridiron Magazine. Matt, tell us precisely, what is the NFL Combine? It is essentially a cattle market for prospective draft prospects in the NFL. It's really one of the weirdest phenomenons in sports, to be honest. Essentially, they take the best of the potential draftees to Indianapolis, where all the teams are. They put them through a load of athletic testing. They put them through a load of interviews with prospective teams. And they also measure them. It's quite a revealing process. They have doctors there. So, yeah, these guys are examined from head to toe. So it's not actually that much fun for players. And it's something that's a lot of pressure. I mean, these guys, once they've declared for the draft, train for this specifically for two, three months at a time. And there are whole teams of people who have created a little cottage industry preparing people for this event. Sounds intense. So you said it takes place in Indianapolis. Yeah, it comes up at the latter half of February every year. It's become a popular TV event in the US, watching guys run on a track and and go through little drills and and people tune in for it because, I mean, it's probably the second biggest sport in the US, the draft alone. I mean, it combines NFL and college football, which corner the market in terms of the biggest sports in the US by an absolute mile. And, And the draft itself is something that gains more viewers than NBA basketball playoff games and everything else. So yeah, the Combine is part of that whole three month show that takes place after the NFL season. Hi Matt, it's Rachel here. You mentioned the players. Where do these players come from? Do they come from the NFL or do they come from college football or a mixture of the two? They come straight from college football. So the way it works in the NFL is they can't sign guys immediately out of high school. They they have to go to college first. So players will go to college for three to five years, basically. They're not eligible to leave college until after their third season. So they'll go through that process and then 
throughout that time, they've been assessed by NFL teams. I mean, NFL teams probably have upwards of 30 members of staff devoted just to scouting the college game. And then that scouting leads to this process of drafting players. And the combine is really the final piece in the jigsaw for these NFL teams. It's not by any means the most important piece. The majority of the decision-making process is made over scouting these guys in games. But the draft is a piece of the jigsaw, and it's, it's the final one a couple of months out from the draft itself. I really feel that if I was born in America, I'd have been drafted into the NFL. Everybody feels like that, but when you realise how many of the high schools they are and the level of athlete that are in high schools, I've visited maybe five high schools in America. Honestly, the facilities that they have in high school football in the US are better than what I've seen for most Premier League sides. Matt, Sherry, you've never met me, trust me. (laughs) All six foot five of me. Um, Matt, also give us a rundown of the individual tests. They're both physical and mental, aren't they? The tests themselves on the day are physical. I mean, it's there's a 40-yard dash, a broad jump. Why do they pick the 40-yard dash? If you think about it, an NFL field's 100 yards long. So as a general rule, 40 yards is that middle ground of showing the long speed that'll be necessary. I mean, anything over 100 yards will be redundant. 100's redundant because it's very rare that you're going to be running plays to try and gain the whole length of the field. So it's kind of just in that area of the average that you might need to run, and it also gets you to the point of showcasing top speed. I think I've read that there's also like a bench press. Are these tests really representative of the game and can they actually test if someone is going to make it in the NFL? No, not at all. I mean, the, the why do it then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they're athletes, Rachel Stringer. Oh, sorry. What I would say happens most is if a guy really does incredibly well and you've got a lower grade on him. Maybe you've watched a guy all the way through his career and thought, actually, I'm, I'm not sure he's very fast, but then he runs a 4.4 40-yard dash, which is a really good time. Then you might go back and watch him again and scout him in more depth. So that's when it becomes useful. But, I mean, in terms of judgment on players, it, it can be correct and it can be wrong. I mean, last year, Saquon Barkley, the Penn State running back, was absolutely incredible. But everybody knew he was going to be a great NFL player. He ended up being the second overall pick, and that wasn't because of the combine and he's been great as a rookie but there was also a tackle from Oklahoma called Orlando Brown who had an all-time bad combine performance for his position and he went from a potential first round pick to I think he went in the third round in the end but actually he had a really good rookie season he was probably one of the better rookie tackles so yeah I mean it's an inexact science this is just one other inexact science in a process that's impossible you're essentially trying to translate these guys onto a field without ever seeing them in NFL conditions but Matt the thing is that you're trying to you're suggesting right is when they do the combine that means uh, there'll be a higher draft sort of valuation but then you look at the likes of let me out earlier Rachel you're gonna be impressed with my knowledge Tom Brady went in the sixth round and so, yeah. and he's now the goat, the greatest of all time, as they say. That's why I keep hearing people shout at me on the street. Jamie, you're the goat. <laughs> um, but that's true, right? So, in fact, you could miss out on some potential superstars, right? The only thing that's certain is uncertainty. I mean, you're talking, you've had quarterbacks who are sure fire, you can't miss prospects, go first overall and have terrible NFL careers. You have Tom Brady, who was the 199th overall pick when he went in the sixth round and he is the greatest quarterback of all time. That's what makes it so fun. It's so unpredictable.
are there actual certain measurements that the scouts are looking for in a player as well? Like I've read about maybe the hand size. Hand size is actually one of the most important for, for quarterbacks. If you knock up big hands, then you're not going to throw the ball very well. So yeah, height is a really, really important one. No quarterback really under five foot eleven has ever succeeded at any level in the NFL. People lie about how tall they are, they lie about other things, and the combine is... <laughs> a way of making sure that teams have information that they were there to see it happen. Everything's built up to this day. This is their future. This is their career at stake. And what happens, you know, like he did when it came to exam day, it wasn't because I was bad at exams. It's just because I wasn't good at the pressure. Could be potentially career damaging for some of these players. It's a huge day to try and do your best, but it's only measured over three days, which I find pretty intense. Yeah, totally intense. I mean, I, I would guess the argument it seems is there is no more pressure-filled environment than professional sports. So if you can't handle it in the combine, then maybe you're not going to handle it in the NFL either. But as I say, I mean, there are many examples of guys who have been potential high picks getting knocked down because of the combine and then going on to great careers. So your point is a valid one. The only thing I would say on the combine really is a lot gets made of the athletic testing, the physical testing in terms of measurables. But one of the most important elements of it is on a night these guys get rolled through a hotel and teams book 15 minute slots in for interviews with the players that they like and these guys essentially just go through a cycle of 20 interviews back to back to back to back and the teams get to really find out about them and that if anything for teams is probably the most valuable part of the weekend and they get that one-on-one time with players and yes the guys will be trained as to what their answer is but they get a little bit more insight from that and um, I think that more than any other element of the combine it's not the bit that we as fans or, or media get to know about but actually it's the bit that's probably most important to the teams. How much does speed and size matter? The reality is it depends on the position. Like for a quarterback, Tom Brady had a terrible combine performance. He is not fast. He never has been. So for him, it doesn't matter. But I mean, if you want to play cornerback in the NFL, then you can't be running much shy of four, six would be the absolute top in the 40. I mean, that's just the way it is. You need to be a certain speed. You need to be a certain size to play a certain position. Uh, Matt, you mentioned um, about three of the different tests. Can you list all of them if you know them and then do they actually relate to certain positions in the game as well broad jump high jump three cone drill which is one of the more important ones is a prime example of one that you would think as a fan looks a little bit ridiculous i mean guys literally just running around three cones but what it actually measures is the quickness of their feet a wide receiver for example that is a hugely important metric and actually one of the ones that is most telling at the combine so yeah even the ones that look a little bit silly actually might be extremely important. Maybe we'll get Jamie to practice that one a bit later. I'm really keen, Jamie, for you to to give this a try. I mean, there are places you can do it. Urban me up, put me in the jungle. I can catch, I can throw. My wingspan's huge, I'm all over it. Matt Sherry, editor of Gridiron Magazine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, guys, anytime. Thank you, Matt Sherry. Okay, Rachel, take a deep breath. (gasps) Because it's now time for... History of the NFL Combine in 60 seconds. So the National Invitation Camp or NFL Scouting Combine is a weird and wonderful mix of Wonderlicks, 20-yard shuttles and Cybex tests. What are Wonderlicks? We'll find out later. Potential players stake their entire careers on how far they can jump and run. The Combine goes way, way, way back to the heady days of 1982. Not that far at all then, really. When Tex Sharam, president of the Dallas Cowboys, said... Why don't we just do one big old centralised evaluation process? 
How'd you do that? And all the other presidents said... Yes. The first national invitation camp was attended by 163 players. It took three years to bring all the scouting groups together, and by 1985, all 28 NFL teams agreed to participate. Originally, the combine was designed to provide medicals for all the prospective players. But it grew into much more than that. The art of evaluating players evolved. And it now includes psych tests, physical exams, and formal and informal interviews with top coaches and scouts. You could say the scouting combine is the ultimate job interview. The NFL say exactly that. I know, I read it here on their website. Cheat! Stop the clock! It's time to get the players' perspective and speak to Casey Joyner, who is ESPN's senior football insider. He really knows what he's talking about, so mm-hmm. it's great to hear from him. Hi, Casey, are you there? I am here. Where are you calling from, Casey? I'm intrigued. Jamie usually asks, and I'm going to ask, I'd like to know where in America, if in America. I am in America. I'm just outside of Orlando, just north of Walt Disney World. Oh, so. I went there in November. Oh, you can't mention that word without oh. getting... I mean, Walt Disney's just the best place in the best world. Best happy place, I know. Casey, you need to tell us all about the NFL Combine, which we know is happening. Do the players train specially for the Combine? They do, actually. Some of them are trained here in Orlando. There's facilities here in Orlando where they'll actually go through and do specialized training for this. The, the agents who set this up for the players, they'll hire trainers, personal trainers to go where the players are. Yes, definitely, because how you do it at the combine can be a big barometer for how you do in the draft, and that can mean a lot of money, so it's an investment for all of them. And how many players go to it, and how tough is it to stand out as one of their players? It can depend year to year how many are invited. It's between three and 400, and it's all on an invite basis. Some players who are not invited have to then overcome that by doing things at pro days or doing personal workouts to make up for it. You can help your draft stock at the combine, but one of the things you can do, it's what's an old football saying that uh, you have to learn how to lose games before you learn how to, to not lose games before you learn how to win them. Kind of the same thing at the combine. The combine can be a place where players can make mistakes and see their draft stock drop more than they can see it rise. So it's a matter of uh, making sure that you do what you're supposed to do rather than uh, necessarily standing out. Is it also though a little bit like the agents know what players they want to pick and regardless of their performance at the combine they still might get a good draft if they know that a player is going to be like if you're an agent and you know that your player is due to be a say a second round prospect you might be able to move that up into a lower first round if you've got a really good performance but if you do badly you could drop from say being a second round prospect in the draft to being a fourth or fifth round prospect if you if you perform very badly and in both the physical uh, elements and in the interviews, too. The interviews are very important for the players. Casey, your buddy Jamie here. There are prospects within the draft. They're going to be the top tens or the first draft and things like that. Do they get special priority or is everyone in it together as individuals? They'll tell you that the players don't get special priority. They won't get special priority in the sense that they'll get to do things that other players don't do. They all get to go through the same test and things. When certain players are showing up out there, the people who are judging these players are definitely paying more attention, and they're going to get more attention for the TV screens too. So they won't necessarily get special priority from that perspective, but they'll get, you know, like I said, they'll get a lot more attention than some of the other players. But then tell me this. If you're going to be a top 10 prospect, right, you're going to be picked in the first draft in the top 10, and you cannot perform at the draft due to injury or something like that, what happens then to your placing within the draft? You can do a pro day where the team can come to, like sometimes a player might be injured, uh, say sometime between then and before the draft. Say they're at, at Ohio State, then the teams can then go to Ohio State and see a pro day for that player and see him perform there when he's healthy again. Run him through some of the same drills, do some of the same things, do some of the same interviews they did. They just didn't do it at the combine. So uh, it comes up on occasion and sometimes players would prefer to do it at a pro day because they're at a facility they're more familiar with, whether they're at any 
Indianapolis, might be on the turf they're used to, might be at a practice field they're used to, uh, a number of things of that nature. But most of the time, the players do want to show up at the combine because if you don't show up at the combine, like, the teams will immediately ask, okay, there's an injury, that's a big problem, or if you just don't want to be there, okay, why don't you want to be there? Do you fear the competition? They want to see you want to succeed. What kind of questions do these players get asked and, and how difficult are they? Sometimes they'll ask them football-related questions. They'll, you know, they'll try and see if they know a particular scheme or something of that nature. If you played in a particular offense, they want to find out, okay, does that translate to something? So they'll do things of that nature. But a lot of times they're trying to find out more about these players because all coaches throughout NFL history, if you've heard John Madden talk about it, John Paul Brown is a famous football coach used to talk about it. They want to find out, do you like football for football's sake, or do you like football because it's a way to make money? Because if it's a way to make money for you, okay, that's a mercenary type player, and teams will want that type of player if you're talented enough. But what they really want is somebody who wants to play football, and somebody who's succeeded at things. Okay, how did you do in school? What are your personal relationships? They want to make sure they're hiring, frankly, a good employee, somebody who they think would be good for their team and good for their locker room. So those, even though they only get a, you know 10 or 15 minutes in those interviews, they're trying to find out there what type of person you are as much as what you know about football they talk a lot about the intelligence of a football player uh, and oh that's an intelligent football player rather than a physical one wonderlick it, it is wonderlick that is correct, wonderlick yeah. it sounds like a ride wonderful you yeah. got there in the end wonderbar <laughs> i got there um it sounds like a ride at uh walt disney so w- what is it it's almost like what we call in the States here an, an ACT or an SAT. It wouldn't be quite as involved or detailed as that, but it's what you've learned in school for some of the basic mathematical and other elements of that nature. I don't necessarily think it correlates to NFL success because you've had players who've been really successful in the league who haven't done well in the Wonderlick test, but they are trying to find out basically if you've got some reading and arithmetic skills, as it were. We've heard there's some quarterback interviews as well, which are quite grueling. Is that the case? Quarterback interviews are kind of like uh, if you've seen the what uh, John Gruden used to do on uh, the show he used to do the ESPN his quarterback camp. You're trying to find out how much they know about football. The personal evaluators will tell you that least can be judged by metrics. You can do all the running, all the different tests. You go back and look at Tom Brady's combine tapes and things. He looks terrible. He he doesn't look at all like the greatest player of all time. So they're looking for things out of quarterbacks. They're looking for a lot of leadership traits. They're looking for a lot of traits to where you know is are you somebody that my team is going to want to follow because quarterback just by the nature of the position is so, so central to the team that you're going to have that sort of an impact. And they want to find out, are you somebody who you're going to get teammates to follow you, teammates to like you, or are you somebody who, if you walk into a room with a quarterback and do a 15-minute interview with him and you all walk out of there going, wow, he's kind of a jerk, we don't like him. You, have, you better go think about that because the other players are going to be thinking the same thing too and if this guy is going to be somebody who leads your team ostensibly for 10 years, you'd like to be somebody who at least everybody respects. So yeah, that's why they put a lot more emphasis on the quarterback interview. Yeah, because they're the team leader. Now also we've read that there's five good players to watch out for this year's combine now one of them is a guy called kyler murray there's Dwayne haskins nick bosa ed oliver and devon white now murray is the big talking point isn't he because he's already been drafted for the mlb which is the baseball league uh yet he stayed his preference for the nfl draft how big a prospect is this guy I think one of the things that uh, people are going to be looking for, they want to find out what is his actual size. Because people talk about short quarterbacks and how a short quarterback will have trouble succeeding in the NFL and Murray. The colleges will give you what their measurements are, but don't believe them. I mean, they, you know, this is one of the reasons the combine got started in the first place was 
teams would see players listed at six one two twenty five and come find a player is six foot and two hundred. It's you'd find a huge difference between their listed height and weight and what their actual height and weight was. So they're going to want to find that out about Murray. They're going to want to find out some other things. But so much of what you know need to know about Murray, you can already find out on tape. The guy can pass from the pocket. His size is not an impediment. He throws over a big lineman right now in college. He, you know, this is not something for him. But they're going to want to see that, and they're going to want to press him on it and see: Are you going to be able to succeed in spite of this? Because some of the most successful quarterbacks in the league, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, are two of the smallest quarterbacks in the league. So they'll, but they'll be looking for that from Murray, and they'll be looking at it from all the other guys too. What, what's your actual height? What's your actual weight? What, what physical you know, limitations do you have? If you had any injuries, they're looking for a lot of things like that. Because again, teams are using the combine as much to say, as much to list red flags on players as they are to find out players who are great. Well, I'm excited to see how Kyler Murray gets on. I actually want to watch. I think uh, if I was over in Orlando, I'd try and get a ticket hey. to watch it. Hey, Rachel, <laughs> we can get some popcorn and watch it on the TV. Ooh. I think I would do very badly in the combine because I lie about all of those things. <laughs> I lie about my height, my weight, my age, everything. He'd be a great leader, maybe. Great quarterback. <laughs> but uh, Casey Joyner, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. So that's the player's angle. A little later, we'll find out what the teams are looking for after your feedback. <laughs> Now, Rachel, I don't know if you heard the show last week. You probably did because you are an enormous fan of me and head in the game, right? And I'm a bit of a sporting geek. So. There we go. But we covered great sporting rivalries. It was amazing. I had a listen. There weren't many females in it, though. Little bit disappointing, apart from the two ice skaters and a little mention of uh, Martina Navratilova and Chris Evert. Well, we had loads of feedback, OK? And on that subject, Charlotte from Miami agrees with you. Now, she says almost all of the great sporting rivalries that were listed were men. She said, what about the Williams sisters in tennis, Victoria Pendleton and Anna Mears in cycling, and Zola Budd and Mary Decker, one of the greatest ever rivalries? I have to agree with Charlotte. I think we should look into those in more depth. I totally agree. I really, really do. Now, uh, this is from Ben in Uganda. What's up, Ben? Now, in last week's episode about great sporting rivalries, the crushing tackle on me, Jamie Lang, by All Black Brad Thorne, which still hurts, by the way, um, at a charity match was mentioned. Now, how about a show, he says, dedicated to great sporting injuries? I like his idea, but I don't <laughs> think that's particularly what we'd like to cover on this podcast. But maybe you could pitch it to another podcast. Ben from Uganda, it's a terrible idea. Oh. Well, I was just trying to be nice to him. Anyway, from Simon in Hamburg, love the Head in the Game podcast. Are you planning to cover the new MotoGP season? I'm a massive superbike fan. Well, Simon, I am as well. So absolutely, we are. Jamie, when are we covering it? Oh, we're covering it next week, everyone. Very excited for it. Uh, please keep the feedback coming. Uh, check out our Facebook page, Head in the Game Podcast, and click join. It's very simple. You could do it right now, actually. Go and do it. In honour of the up-and-coming NFL Combine, we thought we'd run our very own Head in the Game Combine. Jamie and Rachel, here's your chance to prove your physical, mental and <laughs> intellectual skills. I think I know who's going to win this duel. I felt like that was mean, Rachel. He giggled at you. Did you hear that when it said intellectual? Well, I'm already stretching. Somebody ready for this. Stretch your so, mind, Rachel. That's what you I'm need to stretch. Meet you. Stretch your mind. This is the ESPN Head in the Game Combine for 2019. Whoop, whoop. Round one, the vertical jump. Quite a simple task. How high can they leap? Off you go, and Rachel first. I'm good at this one. I used to do Come sports on. hall when I was a youngster. Come on. Get up. So I'm getting up. Where are you going? Up. There she goes. Little. Oh. <laughs> Two <laughs> meters and 41 oh, centimeters. Okay. I'm afraid that's the only go you get. Oh, sorry. Over to you, Jamie. Okay, what's Come on, Jamie. Here we Jamie's go. Jamie's getting up. 
I'm off the floor. Through the ceiling and oh, what was that? disaster! One ninety-eight. Rachel wins. Now it's round two. The Wonderlick. A test of players' intelligence and common sense. <laughs> I got Jamie. This. Assume the first two statements are true. Amy knows Sam. Sam knows Joe. Does Joe know Amy? A yes. B no. C not certain. I'm already confused. <laughs> not certain is correct. Rachel. Assume the first two statements are true. All football players wear helmets. Jay is a football player. Does Jay wear a helmet? One yes, two no, three not certain. Well, I don't think it's a trick question, so I'm going to say one yes. Correct, <laughs> Jamie. The ninth month of the year is what? A September, B August, C July, D Elvis. What? Ah, uh, oh no! Quickly, can... hurry up now. A September. Correct, <laughs> Rachel. If a cup of waffle mix makes two waffles, how many waffles can be made with three cups of waffle mix? A four, B five, C six, D nine. Maths wasn't my strong point. Come on but now. Six, C six, Correct. six, six. Very six. good. You've been practicing, my dear. Stressful. Final round. Round three. Another physical test for you—a balance test. Stand up, both of you. Come All on now. Right. Oh. I'm good at okay. yoga, so right. I'm going to beat you. I want you to stand on one leg. Okay. Left leg, please. No,、uh, left leg, Jamie. Okay, sorry. Yeah, the, the other one. Okay, yes.、I'm... Hold for five, four, three, two, one. Good. Now arms up.、Uh, Now close your eyes. What? Try this one at home, folks. Not as easy as it sounds. He's cheating. He's got his eyes open. Jamie's wobbling a bit there.、Oh. Rachel holding firm. Oh no! And the winner is、oh. Rachel.、Ooh. Well done, both. Did I win overall? Look, I'm just telling you that doesn't make anything. That stupid game didn't want to play anyway. Let's find out what the team scouts are looking for from Dan Hatman, director of scouting development from the Scouting Academy. Hi, Dan. Hello, hello. Hi. Firstly, director of scouting development from the Scouting Academy. It's quite a long-winded title. What does that mean? What do you do? The blessing to work for three different NFL teams and two college programs. And through all that experience, the one consistent thing was that there was kind of a chicken and egg problem, as I call it. You couldn't get a job in scouting unless you knew how to scout, but you couldn't learn to scout unless you had a job in scouting. So, when you send a scout to the combine, do you send them with a complete list of attributes or certain players that you're looking for, or how do you go into a combine? So the vast majority of people that are going have already been working on the college scouting side, really from the end of July. As these scouts have gone through the entire summer and fall working on this, they've become very familiar with the players in their region. So typically, a team will put their scouts in Indianapolis for the week to do one of two things: either to reassess their individual areas, or more commonly, to work on a position group. So we'll send a scout to the combine, and you'll be the running back cross checker. And you're responsible for interviewing every running back, watching all the drill work on them, assessing them in any way possible, providing back a ranking at the end of the week on here's how well they did, here was their body language in between drills, here was how they were when we were off the field, you know, trying to get them for interviews. Really going to collect any bit of information you can. When are the players scouted from? What age? Is it high school? Is it just college? Just college, for the most part. I mean, don't get me wrong; there are absolutely scouts that become familiar with the college recruiting process from the standpoint of watching that unfold, knowing the names, sometimes even watching some of the highlight tapes.、Uh, but typically, the the heavy burden of the evaluation process starts in the player's junior year of college or third year of college. 
What is the hierarchy of uh, player positions in terms of like the draft combine? For example, how important is the quarterback position compared to the others? In that week, the interviews with the quarterbacks and any time you get to spend with them, because the biggest bulk of quarterback evaluation is actually figuring out who they are as a person and what's between their ears. The film is a starting point. It's not the end of that evaluation process for quarterbacks, which is the most important position in the game. The combine week is more about the interviews. A lot of the times, the first time a head coach or general manager is actually going to meet that player that they're going to decide upon. So this week really kicks that process off. In terms of the on-field positions that demand unbelievably high levels of athletic ability like pass rusher or corner, even wide receiver, those will be prioritized in terms of the week because if players can go out there and show those really high levels of athletic ability relative to the pool of NFL talent, they can really stand out and make money for themselves. Super Bowl, um, what, for example, will the Super Bowl winners, the New England Patriots, be targeting going into the Combine? It's a funny process because you have to evaluate everybody because you never know who's going to be available at what part of the draft and or in years to come, right? So if a player gets waived or they're as available for trade or it becomes a free agent in years down the road, these assessments still get used. I was on the pro scouting side. So we'd be watching a player that's been in the league five years. We would use the, some of the background and character information that the college scout collected. So – you don't like to leave any gaps. You want to assess everybody. Everybody that's going to the combine, everyone to the senior bowl. You go through the whole process trying to evaluate and assess everybody. What a team like that might be doing is you get to set up 60 official interviews at the combine. That's the one constraint there. And so you might prioritize your list based on players that maybe you think can make the end of the first round where the Patriots would be selecting or that maybe during the course of the fall we couldn't get a very good read on the player from their the college they went to. So we need to spend more time with them. So we're going to we're going to set them up as one of our 60 interviews and things of that nature to try to solicit more information in that uh, that venue. But interesting, Dan, what happens with the draft is that the lowest ranking teams get the first pick and the highest ranking teams, so Super Bowl winners, for example, New England Patriots, will get the last one. Who are the people like the Cardinals, the Jets, the 49ers, the Raiders? Who are they going to be looking for and jostling for when it comes to the draft? Well, typically, the teams at the top are usually there because of a lack of quarterback. Some of the teams you mentioned, Arizona drafted one last year. So did the Jets. The 49ers just traded and paid for one. Um, the one team in, in those four that you know most people are looking at and wondering what's going to happen is uh, Gruden and the Raiders. And if they're sold on someone like Derek Carr. And then there's obviously the the rumors out there that the Cardinals might be smitten with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. We'll see how that pans out. But really, all those teams need pass rush. All those teams need players that disrupt the other teams. Quarterback in this draft has a phenomenal selection of those kind of players right at the top. So I would, wouldn't be surprised to see four of those guys go in the first five picks, assuming teams don't come up for a quarterback. How much do the teams themselves actually trust the judgment of the scouts when they go to the combine and then feed back to them? You're going to have your entire group there. So general managers, personnel directors, coaches, everyone's in Indianapolis doing the same work. And then it all gets videotaped and dispensed so that you can watch that at any time. So really what you're trying to pull out of that from an individual scout is, is just is there anything nuanced 
you know, and a lot of times you'll have your scouts volunteer to walk those position groups around. So there's someone that manages the groups. Okay. So you're group one of the wide receivers. There's someone that helps them get from point A to point B because those young men have never been to Indianapolis before. A lot of times behind the curtain, again, walking from drill to drill or from the medical tent to the, you know, weightlifting station or whatever you're going to, you can see how these guys interact and what they say. Uh, some of that information can be really important to sending up a red flag for further research. It might not be indicative of a decision to be made, but on, hey, this guy said something that caused my ears to perk up. Let's dig in. Do they know that? Because obviously they're actually being scrutinized for the entire three days and not just when they are actually performing or doing the different drills. Yeah, the agents have done a great job of hiring former GMs as contractors and going through robust training sessions. So these players are coached on how to carry themselves, what to wear, how to say things, how to answer questions, what questions they might be given. Comment made a few years back to me at the Combine, and I've always appreciated it, and it was the only authentic thing at the Combine is the medical. Everything else has been customized and tailored and polished to be the best possible version of themselves, uh, which is the agent's responsibility to put their, their client out there in the best light. Dan Hatman, Director of Scouting Development from the Scouting Academy. I'm never going to forget you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. ESPN, head in the game. Right now, it is time for the viewer's perspective. Is this week's NFL superfan, Alex Twist. Hello. Alex, that was... Firstly, when someone intros you, you don't delay it. You just go, hey, yeah, what's up, everyone? You just went, hello, in the creepiest way possible. Can we build it up <laughs> one more time? We have an NFL super fan, Alex Twist. Hello. Yo. Okay. And he's sitting here um, with a Titans top on, which I guess means you are an NFL Titans fan. And we cannot forget the Titans hat he had as well, which is... I mean, you're you're a big super fan, right? I am a big, big super fan. It's causing me problems in my relationship, if I'm being honest with you. Why? Tell us more. Well, I like to spend a lot of time watching the NFL. I uh, unfortunately have a, a penchant for doing a lot of research around fantasy football as well. I have spreadsheets that I maintain no, on don't. a weekly basis. It's got 17 tabs on it. I pay an unhealthy amount for data subscriptions to be uh, able to that's a lie compete. surely not at all i mean i'm a pff elite subscriber i am an espn insider <laughs> i have access to football outsiders and now you're ahead in the game podcaster as well i've waited so long for this <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't Wait. know what you do with all those tabs on excel but um... alex do you also say to your girlfriend do you say look i'm so sorry i have a penchant for all of these things because that's what <laughs> if, if you had said that to me and we were going out i would probably hit you in the head <laughs> i just thought you know given your only way is chelsea fame <laughs> that's I thought... exactly it you hit the nail on the head <laughs> <laughs> but alex right let's get to this why do you like the nfl so much because you're not from america obviously from here mm -hmm. why do you like it so I think there's something remarkably different about the NFL because it has a drive for parity. And I think that sets it apart from a lot of UK sports because we are so conditioned to seeing individual teams dominate year after year because of the money or because of a certain player. And that just doesn't happen in the NFL because you have the NFL draft, which the worst teams get the top picks. 
And because you have a salary-controlled league, so even if you're the best drafter in the world, those players you're getting end up becoming too expensive for you to maintain. So you have to essentially constantly balance this roster of superstars who are very expensive with young guns that you're trying to develop. And that's where the art and the skill is. And as a result, it means that every week is a genuine competition. You don't know the result. Your team could go from the worst in the league to one of the better ones, as the Titans did. I feel like you're very British, like but, a fair playing field, like no, a fair game. I love the fact, Alex, before you walked in this room and I saw you, I could have guessed that you would have liked the logistical side <laughs> of the NFL. That's exactly what it is. I don't care about how it's played, I just like the logistics behind it. As an NFL fan, do you fall in love with the players? Because we're talking about the NFL Combine. Do you fall in love with them at the Combine, or do you fall in love with them once they're part of your team? I think you do start to size up the players that you really really hope your team drafts on draft day and the combine is one of those real events where you start to get a feel for who might be the most gifted athletically like the fans they can't see the interviews that happen so you're not going to be able to determine the player's intellect or their their skill at the mental side of the game so much but you can see them jump 41 inches up in the air and that is a remarkable feat and it just gives you a sense for how athletic and then you start to wonder about what they could do if they got onto your pitch with your team and as a result you get very very excited. Um, how many days of holiday do you have left because have you like booked three out to watch this combine? I hope my employer is not listening to this but what I will tend to do and one of the ways you can watch it in the UK is with NFL Game Pass really good app <laughs> oh, no and how you much can... do you pay for that a month actually it's not too reasonable I think you pay about 150 quid a year but then oh, you get... say a month no you get all the games you get to be able to watch them on replay you get to watch condensed versions and you get to watch the combine live if you put it on your phone and you hide it underneath your telephones when your boss walks past Titans you did okay this season uh, it was alright who are you looking for what position do you really need I think the, we really need an edge rusher. So they are the premium position. And one just, of these... Just quickly, just... Oh, sorry, you're going to explain it because uh, obviously Rachel Stringer, I know what a... Re, uh, explain head cruncher. He, head cruncher. Is. Head cruncher. No, <laughs> edge rusher. So Ed rusher. You have two lines in American football. An offensive line that is trying to protect the quarterback, stop the defensive players getting to him and tackling him. And then you have the defensive line that are trying to get to the quarterback people on the edge of that line tend to be some of the more influential players in the game because they on the defensive side have the skill set to beat get to the quarterback sack him which is one of the most statistically significant plays in the game you look at the number of sacks or turnovers that you get in a game it can often determine the flow and who wins because it determines how many possessions someone gets look alex i've seen the blind side i know exactly what we're talking about here okay you're protecting the quarterback that's the person you need well, this is on the other side. I'm saying we need the person who's going to beat that left tackle, typically, on the blind side for a right-hander. So it's about trying to have an athleticism. It's about, it gets really complicated. But the thing in the combine that's really interesting is you look at things like the three-cone drill, an agility score that allows you to sometimes see whether a player might be able to have the agility, the ankle flexion, to be able to bend around the edge and get to the quarterback. These are all technical terms. But really what you do is you watch these guys go and you're wanting them to get sub seven seconds if they're going to be a really good edge rusher and you start to see that come through so you basically want a lawrence taylor yes that's who you're looking for now lawrence taylor is one of the best nfl pass rushers i haven't just googled that i promise <laughs> you uh but he is that's who you're looking for right yeah we're looking for someone who's going to be able to in those big 
third downs. So the game really rests on your ability to either convert third downs or to be able to stop the offense being able to convert a third down. And that edge rusher can do that. They know often in these circumstances you get to a play where you know the quarterback's going to have to pass because there's too far a distance to cover in order to run the ball. The person who's won the uh, defensive player of the year two years in a row is Donald, isn't that his name? Donald for the uh, the Rams, the LA Rams. And yes. he is one of these pass rushers that you're looking he for. He is. And the interesting for Aaron Donald is that he's on the inside, so he's not on the edge. The reason why he's so unique is he seems to be able to generate pressure. He slips through the middle of that line to get to the quarterback, which is the shortest distance to the quarterback. It's very unusual to be able to do that, and that's why he's so valuable, because he's basically he's the only person although there are some prospects this year that are potentially being compared to him particularly ed oliver who you might want to look out on the nfl combine because he's going to be quote a workout warrior he's a little undersized but he is going to be an absolute athletic freak so you just mentioned ed oliver there alex but any particular people that you would like in the titans josh allen i'd really be keen to see if he falls to us in the draft so he is going to be exceptional to watch at the nfl combine because he's a real athlete i'm pretty sure he'll do really well on that three cone drill that's a very interesting one because people sometimes focus too much on the 40 yard dash for speed and assume that's going to translate if you're fast you can get to the quarterback quicker it's much more about your bend your agility in order to get to the quarterback and I think that's what Josh Allen will bring to the table if you are in the sort of top 10 draft picks in the first round what kind of salaries what kind of contracts are you going to be rewarded with I think that well they're all now slated there's a rookie scale so it's all predetermined now but they you know our Marcus Mariota, who's our first-round quarterback from a number of years, is going into his fifth year this year of his rookie deal that he got on the contract, and he's going to be earning $21 million US million this year. That's a lot. I don't know what the average salary is for a quarterback or a top pick, but that's still lower than what he would have earned if he had been on the free market. So the rookies in your class are actually relatively cheap players. So they're incredibly important because you have to, in a salary-controlled league, balance the cheap players with the very expensive veteran players. You just mentioned that your quarterback. Do you need another one? Because we were mentioning earlier, Kyler Murray. Is he somebody that'd like to add to your team in the quarterback position? That is a really key question. I think Marcus Mariota is our franchise quarterback. So I would say let's find other pieces in the draft. However, Kyler Murray is a fascinating prospect. He is Five foot nine, likely. There have only been a couple of shorter quarterbacks who've succeeded, but there have been a couple who've done it recently, and that has reset the clock. Rachel's just obsessed with Kyler Murray. She just, I am. Keep, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray. She's talking about him all day. I'm uh, a bit like Alex, though. Once I get into something, I just become obsessed with it and love it like the Titans. So with Kyler Murray. And what's interesting, we haven't spoken that much about money, but it is a big thing. You know, a lot of the players, the reason why they do go into the NFL is because they get to play the sport they love, but also get paid huge amounts of money. How does it work? Can a team sort of say, right, this is what we're going to pay you before they go into the draft? Absolutely not. The money is determined on a algorithmic level. It's just a formula based on where you are drafted. Everyone knows exactly what you're going to be earning if you get drafted number one, number two, and it scales down as you go. The interesting thing is in in this year's draft, we have Kyler Murray, who's already been drafted by the MLB. And as a result, we know he has a money offer on the clock, but it's substantially less. He'll probably only get, I think, about three or four million if he goes to play in the MLB. It's just not that much, is it? 
Well, as I said, Marcus Mariota got is on 21 million yeah, in his fifth year of his he's option. He's not going to get anywhere like that, is he? For going from the combine into the draft. So I think he'll probably be on average of 16 or 17 million US dollars a year. But interesting enough, I remember there was a guy, Demarcus Russell. He went to the Raiders, first round, first pick. He was a quarterback. He was paid 40 million dollar contract for four or five years, I think it was, and he didn't turn out that good. They now he doesn't play anymore. So it's a big risk. Teams are paying money for players that actually potentially might get injured, might not be that good. So it's a huge risk. It's a huge amount of money throwing $40 million at a player that hasn't even played in a league which is completely different to the college league. Absolutely. And I think that's why they put so much into the testing. So it's not just the mental side, it's the physical side, and then it is your medical side because equally there are risks. There will be players who have, you know, niggling injuries that they, you know, teams will decide put them too much uh, at risk to being drafted. So at the, the combine last year, there was a guy called Maurice Hurst who was one of my favorite prospects. He had a heart murmur or something to do with his heart at the NFL Combine and he wasn't able to do any of the testing and he slipped all the way down I think to like the fifth round but he was drafted by the Raiders thankfully he's okay but you know that was a risk-based assessment because of his health Alex Twist thank you so much you were very lovely and very informative today thank you very much I thought the same of you thank you thank you alright one final test for us now Rachel tell us about it voice yes it's the head in the game quiz Rachel Jamie, are you ready? Oh, Rachel, you better be ready. Ready! Round one, true or false? Rachel first. The heaviest player to ever weigh in at the NFL Scouting Combine was Aaron Gibson at 386 pounds, and he actually put on weight when he started playing after the draft. True or false? True. True is correct. Jamie, Usain Bolt beat the NFL record for the 40-yard dash when he tried it at the 2019 Super Bowl experience. No, it's got to be false. It is false. He equaled the 4.22 second record, albeit with an unofficial time. Rachel, true or false, during the 2018 combine, Saquon Barkley was in such big demand that an NFL assistant coach was overheard saying, I would punch myself in the nuts many, many times to be able to draft him. True. Is correct. Yes. Number four. In the 2018 combine, Shaquem Griffin bench-pressed 225 pounds 20 times using a prosthetic hand. This is true. It is true. Over to round two. Genuine college team or figment of my imagination. Rachel, Jacksonville State Gamecocks. Figment. It is real. Jamie, Arkansas Late Night Campers. (laughs) It's got to be figment. Figment is correct. Rachel, Trent State Kekapos. Genuine. Figment, you're not, no! very, you're not very good at this, are you? No! Jamie, Delaware fighting blue heads. <laughs> real college team. It is real. You're way ahead, Jamie. Oh, Come on, Rachel. You've got to do it. Round okay, me. final round, and it's multiple choice. Come on, Rachel. Number one, the NFL scouting combine requires athletes to repeatedly bench press 102 kilos to exhaustion. What's the record number of bench presses? A, 102, B, 51, C, 25. Oh, but these are big guys. 51B. Is correct. Final question, Jamie. Ha-ha Clinton Dix completed the combine in 2014 and currently plays for the Redskins. How did Ha-ha get his nickname? A. His granny gave it to him as an infant because no one could pronounce his real name. B. During the combine, he laughed his way through the three-cone drill. C. His real name is Nelson, like the Simpsons character. Oh, I think it's the Simpsons character, Nelson. No. No. 
It's A. His granny gave it to him as an infant because no one could pronounce his real name. And the winner should be Jamie. Yes! But as it's Rachel's first time, I give it to you, my dear. What? Ooh, beginner's luck. Thanks. It's not even beginner's Thanks, luck. Boys. It's not even beginner's luck. You it just, is. You just got given it. No, it's still beginner's luck. My like... decision is final. Thank you. Stupid game. Didn't want to play anyway. Right, that's about all we have time for this week. Now, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and review. And join us next week when we'll be focusing on the new MotoGP season. Until then, keep your head in the game. ESPN, head in the game. That was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was fun. Just quickly, Rachel, guess how far I could throw the javelin when I was 14 years old? Well, 30 metres. 44 metres, you got it wrong. Guess how fast I could run the 100 metres when I was 16 years old? 12, 13 seconds. Put it in the middle, 12 and a half seconds. Okay. Beat that. Commonwealth Junior Medal. Um, national Records Junior in the 800 metres. But I don't really like mentioning it that much. Whatever. Sorry, I hate posting. It's just, I'll just stop.